I say it like that because of Ja Rule. I can't help myself. <laughs> I know you can't help yourself. How are you doing, Kyle? Pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right. We're, uh, I don't know, it's that the time of night. Not quite bedtime yet for the babies, and you know they're not ready to settle down yet, so they're jumping around all over the place. Where are you in Indonesia? <laughs> I'm in Australia. I'm in Adelaide. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Indonesia was last week. Indonesia was last week. Things changed very fast. Before that, you're in India. Yeah, it's wild, huh? And before that, you were in US. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah, this is just what you do. So you run around the world, picking up languages, knowledges as you go, make relations, good relations, and you seem to remember most of them. And they're strong and deep too, which is, um, I don't know, that's an unusual skill. I don't think a Dunbar number applies to you. I think you. <laughs> I've thought about that after I listened to your yarn with Dunbar. Yeah. He, 150 is the limit. Yeah. That I meaningfully have interactions with. Probably not. There's more. I'd, I'd add at least a zero to that. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take a zero off from me from the number of names I can remember. But I always remember your name. You're a memorable dude. I didn't know about that, Tyson, but yeah, the name is memorable. A bunch of languages, but you're really solidly grounded in your own, you know, your own homeland knowledges, Mm. you know, like very solidly grounded in that and the metaphysics of that and the spirit of that, Mm. you know, but somehow you carry that to every place. And maybe that's just how your culture and your spirit is. Mm. Maybe like everyone's like that in your town, but, (laughs) uh, but you just take it places and it comes with you and it speaks to the place like the very profound thing we had with the snakes in uh, new york state mm. together yeah there's a we snake talk- on my finger there is indeed a snake on your finger it's a ring you know this is not a visual medium this podcast but um, right. <laughs> what's the story for that one yeah this is from my hometown and there's a story around like of course, snakes being an important part of our tradition. Shiva, as you know, as the god of destruction that's been around, like we call him Adiyogi. He's probably one of the earliest mythical beings that India has known of. And mm. it's prior to the Vedic culture. It's prior to the Aryans coming in. It's It goes way back, this lord of the Adiyogi. And this mythical being appears with like serpents wrapped around his neck. And, and then what the serpents represent is... That the power of transformation, the power of death and destruction mm. 
which is something I think a lot about. And it's funny you say that I carry, of course, my spirituality and my roots in India, wherever I go. But somehow, I, I don't know if everyone in my hometown mm. is way ties, mm. but there's also the story of mom and dad, for some reason, they decided to migrate down to south, south of India, Tamil Nadu, although yeah. like mom, mom's mob is from the center, right. the people who are indigenous to that particular part of the land, dad's family comes from what is now Pakistan, but used to be India. And then they met in the center of India, decided to come down south, but the language is different, the food is different. It's, an, it's a new country, practically. Mm. And they didn't have any money, they didn't have any resources. They just decided to move down south and start a new family. And we picked up like four languages growing up and mm, ate mm. North Indian food for the morning and South Indian in the evening. And it was such a blend of cultures and yeah. different religions, different religions too, like Sikhism, Hinduism, Buddhism, all blend in my family. And you would see in the family altar. Mm. You would see Buddha sitting with Shiva, sitting with a photo of Guru Nanak or yeah. whoever. And yeah. It's beautiful. So, oh, I that's think the secret. You were, you were raised in di in di dialogue. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you, you know how, like, um, you know, they have in fantasies and that, like in Viking adventures, that every now and then there's someone whose name is like Battleborn because they were <laughs> born in a battle. <laughs> you know, like like Yarnborn or something. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely album. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Yeah. We can add that to your string of name. <laughs> I was born in relation. I was born in dialogue. Yeah. Sure. And where we grew up, it was still rich naturally. It was in the valleys, in the mountain ranges of the south. The Kurumba people, other people there. And yeah, you have with the hill people. And yeah, I was really lucky to grow up there. Now it's a big city, Coimbatore. It's the largest, second largest city in Tamil Nadu. And in the last five years, they've completely destroyed it. But hey, that's mm. a lot win for you. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's mad. Well, we um, I used to tease you when every time I met you, you used to wear these white gloves. <laughs> it was white in one hand and black. That? White in one hand, black in another one. Yeah, yeah. And like um, I don't know. Until I, it was. It took me a while after I met you before I started high fiving. I started reluctantly <laughs> participating in high fives. You were like you were respectful of me declining initially, and then eventually you got me. Eventually, got you. I think my what did you call me? Sleepover chic or something? That my fashion, my pants probably got you in the end, Tyson. What I called you? Yeah, something like that. Sleepover chic because I had ah, oh, you were yeah, sleepover chic. I was wearing those <laughs> pants. <in> so, <laughs> I heard it like sheep over seek yeah. or something. And I thought, oh, that's uh that sounds a bit racist. So <laughs> I hope I didn't call you that. <laughs> no, you ah, yeah, yeah. No, you, yeah, you were because it was like pajamas or something. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't pajamas, obviously, but that's what that was your style. Yeah, yeah. No, you were all fluffy. Yeah. It yeah. was all fluffy things and, and you had these gloves on. Yeah, yeah. And like just smiling all the time. I'm like, oh, stop smiling, man. What's there, what's there to be happy about? That's another thing I wanted to ask you about. We might weave because I think that this snake needs to talk its way through because we never finished. Mm. Um, yeah, we never quite finished that jar. That was good. That was at the fire. And, you know, that was that was pretty amazing. The um, one in New York, you mean? 
that when, yeah, in New York State, when we were at the fire there and and we were talking about the Nagas and the Guineas and we are talking about that um, serpent, all the serpent beings here in Australia and a rainbow snake, all that, um, that typen in my language, which is where the word taipan comes from, by the way. That's a, that's a wick word. People think it's Chinese. It's not. It's it's wick, taipan. <laughs> um, but that one, yeah, that's nian we you know called as well which also means like that big that that big spirit but spirit within that you know that one and it goes through everything as well and through you and in you yeah so it's called that as well and i don't know we we really i don't know i i um i believe i was under the the influence while we were talking so i think i missed bits i missed bits in memory but you know i still hold that uh yeah, the the essence of that 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 yarn we had. So I always wanted to come back to it. There's that, but then also wanted to ask you about like um, you know, hard times and you know, for for everybody, but particularly for young people as well. And you know, a if you've ever been through that kind of thing, if if it's relevant, but then b um, more importantly, I'm just trying to think my way through what's a good, what is what is your best sequence. Um, sequence for transformation you know i figure if we bring in all our many and varied spiritual traditions that both of us have at this table here we bring them all together in dialogue i reckon there's got to be some something might be revealed there about um how you transition um through you know um, you know mental illness depression you know fatigue and, and, and troubles and especially for young people, um, you know, so that we're better able to create and advise in the creation of um, of processes, you know, for healing, because mm. uh, they're going to need it. Mm. Poor little things now. Yeah, it's important. not to mention like the rest of us. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. this story is a good place to start. The Naga story. Yeah, yeah, we'll start with the snakes and see where it goes. Because yeah, I've had. I don't know, snakes. I've had a fascination with snakes from a young age. There have been dreams of snakes appearing. But as you know, like the rainbow serpent story or the story of like snakes appearing to the Indian people sort of and the tradition of Adi Yogi, especially Shiva with snake draped around his neck mm. sort of represents a lot of different layers of meaning within the Indian tradition. One is obviously like transformation because the snake sheds its skin and comes into the new skin and there's that constant process of death and rebirth death and rebirth mm -hmm. that snake very beautifully embodies then of course like snake is also venomous and carries poison in it but it only attacks when it's attacked so there's mm -hmm. like layers of it still being a very peaceful being of walked over snakes walked around snakes including some here in australia when i first arrived and i'm very connected also to gumbengi country up in kofsaba as you know yes yes you but are i should have mentioned that at the outset yeah yeah <laughs> that's like your you know your place in australia when when in here that's where you you're grounded from here where you you set 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 circle there mm, somehow yeah. there's a beautiful tribe and community there i know chelsea's based there and clarky's based there and lots of amazing humans mm. are doing phenomenal work based in gumbagi country and 
yeah, the first time I came and I didn't know much about Australia, I was just going out for a run along the Coffs Creek, which goes all through. And yeah, there was this red-bellied black snake just lying on the path. And mm. I didn't know if it was poisonous or not. This is probably my second day in Australia. Yeah. I stood in front of it. I said, what do you want me to do? Can I continue running or should I? And then it just like looked at me and then sort of like, I don't know, I did the bow thing. It just seemed natural. Mm. And then it just walked on. It just Well, that's um, that's highly unusual for them mm. uh, red, red belly blacks on the East Coast there. It's, um, they get out of your way real quick. Like they, they never sit still for you. They, yeah, they, moment, yeah, that's the reason. Like they're a bit venomous, but you never get bit by red belly. Mm. Uh, you know, I know unless they're disturbed from a fire or a flood or something and, and you stumble across one. It's been injured or whatever. But no, they, they just bolt. Like you, you walk and stomp your feet and they'll, they'll get out of your way. You won't even see them kind of thing but you know if you happen upon them they bolt straight away they don't sit there and look at your eyeball you and wait for you to bow that's mad <laughs> yes i'd say i call that a something that's a special encounter that one yeah definitely a special yeah. encounter yeah and then when things have happened you speak of like i don't know tragedy or tough times or trauma or whatever when things have happened like when dad passed away which was a big moment for us as a family mm. i was 10 years old less than and I think that also gave me an understanding of how everything is impermanent here. Like it's one thing to hear, you know, life is impermanent. Everything is passing. But when yeah. a certain figure from your life disappears, like he's there one moment and not there the next, you ask as a young person, even if you don't have the words, you're like, what, what is life? Why are we here? What's going on? What is this passing show? Mm. And I think that sort of experience and somehow through the years, through the work I've been able to do living with the monks, monks as in swamis, whatever. Monks is a English translation for these swamis that live in the Himalayan wilderness that I go and spend a yeah. few months every year. And I've come to become almost friends with death. It's one of my favorite contemplation topics. And, mm. and I think that's a good way of like transforming. The more you can look mm. at your own mortality. Mm. And your body's kind of mm. slide off a little like the snake skin yeah more and more you contemplate okay this thing is going to pass this body mind complex that i consider myself mm. who am I? even is a is another beautiful inquiry who am i am i this person i think myself to be or are we something more something less is the relational thread between us maybe more real than this individual mm. ego identity that we take ourselves to be Perhaps there's a beautiful exploration around like mm. who am I that we've done for many, many thousands of years. And so we could go there. But like, I think death, looking at death is a great way of working through anxiety or depression or tragedy or trauma. And yeah, the more yeah, I think from a Western perspective, you might think to avoid such a topic because it might be a bit dark <laughs> and, you know, depress people further. But no, no, you got to lean into that death. Oh, it's, you know, it's so feel it as part of your life, like, mm. you know, every day, not just like something happens one day in the future. Yeah. Mm. We're constantly dying, aren't we? And the mm. more we remember that, then say if you have something that's troubling you, it's not as big when you know you're going to die as well, you know, in that yeah. grand scheme, in the dark sky, like you can see those little lights of stars and be like, okay, 
Mm. There's still lots of blank space in between, you know? Mm. And it gives freedom to move and do things. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I, I recall you pulled me up on my flippant use of the word guru as well. Because <laughs> you know, I'm like referring to like any um, charlatan, you know, out there as a guru. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's sort of come into the parlance a bit lately. And um, you're like, well, guru is like, I know that's that's a real thing. That's a special thing. <laughs> yeah. Guru is a special real thing. Guru literally means like the dispeller of darkness. Mm. And all of us have some illusions that we carry, mm. perhaps at the end of our life. And guru is like truly authentic guru is someone who's awakened to their true identity, not being this individual limited body-mind complex, mm. but intertwined web of relations and the yeah. energy that sustains us all someone that's truly deeply connected to that deep mm. source mm. in and can in a way show the way or at least like help cut the illusion that sort of hangs around all yeah. of us you know? mm. so yeah but well, there's lots of gurus and if someone says they're a guru you should probably run away <laughs> you know yeah so gurus won't won't call themselves that no no like if the, so if they put it in front of their name like um you know, like doctor, but like, you know, guru, I don't know, Deepak or something. <laughs> it's like, no, Guru Jonathan. No, mm, I don't believe Deepak. you, Jonathan. Run away from Jonathan. Jonathan, I'm running away. <laughs> All right, that's really good advice. Yeah. It's funny, like the weaving back into the Naga stories, you know, um, and what I understood to be Nagini in that female form, which at least allowed me to correctly gender Voldemort's snake in Harry Potter, yeah. which is really cool. <laughs> Nagini! Uh, it's, <laughs> I don't know, it's funny, like, that's it, that's the snake's name. It would be like if your name was human male. Uh, anyway. Um, but, yeah, I keep everywhere. Like, I've talked to a lot of people all over, all over Asia like all around, like lots of different countries. And the amount of times that sacred snake is, is referred to as in some form as Naga, mm. you know, um, you know, it, it might, the sound might change a bit, but it's basically Naga still. And you, you talk, you ask them about it and, you know, this, those spiritual traditions have traveled. There's been connectivity and, you know, trade routes and pilgrimages and, you know, exchange, you know, in that really vibrant uh, way of being, you know, in the world, you know, between all these bioregions far apart, many thousands of years, obviously, which would make me think that your childhood was probably more of a norm for humans than, you know, maybe we're not the parochial bastards we, um, we've come to believe we were. <laughs> You know, maybe it was things were a lot more vibrant and interconnected. Um, and I feel that with the snakes. It's, that's what it does. You know, that, that great dividing range, you know, that big snake, that big song line there. You know, it's, um, that's, it doesn't divide, you know, the great barrier reef, which is also a snake. That, that, that's not a barrier. You know, all these things tie together. This is a relational string, you know. Mm. These are the things that remain and that are eternal. Tell me about the barrier reef and the snake story. I've heard about the dividing range. 
Ah, uh, that we'll have to wait for JD for a proper story gotcha. for that because he's song man that hold, keeps that story. Mm. Um, but yeah, my understanding is it goes from all the way down Kabulcha and right up, right up top, like uh, you know. Uh, so it's all Great Barrier Reef is part of that, and all those islands. Uh, there's a lot of islands that are just um, you know, the Kun, the poop yeah. from the from that big carpet snake. There's a carpet snake one that one. Yeah, and uh, we got that similar name all the way up. Like you can see it in, you know, couple, 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 you know, or it's got that similar sort of name. It's got all those mobs in all the very different languages, up and down from north to south. Yeah. And the tip of the snake or the Great Barrier Reef, does it come into Gumbenge too? Like I think it comes all the way to. Coughs, yeah. It? Uh, yeah, I believe, but then it um it changes too because that story goes everywhere. That uh this this two snakes story that will go you know all around uh even goes uh goes you know around Sydney mm. uh, all around there. Um yeah, and that another big snake come from um over in the west there. There's um you know, there's a lot of these stories you know and they come uh that one actually that big that two snake story that comes comes through adelaide too where you are now mm. so uh ghana country and Ngarinjeri, uh country nearby all, all of that one there the old fellows there they can tell you about that that too you know um yeah, yeah. i'd love to learn more about this land like this is my first time in ghana country and yeah i'm just here for this festival but yeah, I'd like to know more. Nice. Mm. Well, it gets it gets bloody cold when the winter sets in. That's all I remember about it. <laughs> That's not all I remember. Hey, but um, anyway, look. So it's it's, it's something with these snakes. So you mm. and I can't remember if the night we sat at the fire that was the same night as the day of the deer hunt. It was the place. Night. It was the same night. It, it was, was so we were full of that that fresh deer meat. I don't know if you you don't eat meat, do you? I didn't. Yeah, I I you don't need partake. It. Yeah. <laughs> if it was offered, I would have taken the spoonful. Yeah, yeah. Ceremonially, but and it was a beautiful story of you. I don't know if you've shared the story, Thais, on your. Uh, I th I think I have like a couple of times, so I won't won't do it again. But it's yeah. just that uh, it was an impromptu thing. There were too many vegans in charge of the food for that uh, retreat. That we were on, <laughs> so we went and knocked a deer, and um, yeah. well, we didn't have like any spears or anything, so we just used rocks. Um, and then, yeah, and then that ended up the retreat and turned into lots of activity around this, you know, in the butchering the carcass, butchering you know, dividing, sharing the meat, and deciding what to leave, what to keep, and you know, and then, um, but then it was all the the cooking, like for the rest of the afternoon. And it really kind of bound everyone together. And so mm -hmm. like a lot of those really strong relationships were formed around those activities. And I really suspect that it's because of the death aspect that was in there. Mm -hmm. You know, it was that um that respect for for that death mm -hmm. there. But we it didn't just happen like that because we had to like try and figure out if in this strange place, you know, on other people's country. You know, 
like Native American land. We're on the Indian land and like um, uh, trying to figure like we're sort of getting the sense that it would be all right for us to hunt there. But it was like, is that just our ego, that feeling that is that really country talking to us? It, I don't feel like this place has opened up to us yet, you know? And, mm. and yeah. And yeah. So you and I started talking up, yarning up the snakes. <laughs> and then, and then they, they, they came. It was two snakes. It was two snakes. They popped yeah. up. Uh, it was like a black one and a what green one or brown one? I could, I'm colorblind. I can't tell. I think it was green, the black. Yeah, and, yeah, and we hadn't seen anything like that before that, there. And suddenly there they were. They just came straight out of the reeds and sat and looked at us, which, you know, snakes don't do that. Yeah. In my experience, they probably do it to you all the time, but <laughs> Asian Harry Potter, like, <laughs> I have a snake. Castle Town Dweller, like they're all coming out, coming out for you. What's your memory of that? Yeah. I can't remember I what we were talking about with the snake business, but. Yeah, I remember us, like, the whole day was pretty remarkable that day just walking and we came back and I remember seeing you after like I think it was me and a couple of others that had gone for a walk and you were the first person we saw and we're like oh what's up Tyson and you're like oh we just hunted a deer and I was like maybe you're making up a story because you do stories really mm. well like oh that's a good yeah that's a good story <laughs> and we're like no no go, go check it in the kitchen it's there it's cooking and as we walk in, there's like this aroma of the deer being cooked and mm. yeah, Jacqueline in control of the kitchen and lots of people dancing around. So there's like this whole, I think, ritualistic and a lot of it comes to death, I think. Yeah. It was that reverence for death and that yeah. bond that brings us together. And as we sat and shared a meal together that night, and then I think everyone sort of left at some point and it was just you and me with the fire talking about snakes and the Naga. Yeah. And I think we did dance a little bit with the idea of death as well. And yeah, yeah, we did. Was, but that's where we finished up. But you're forgetting how the day started. And I guess you didn't even realize what I was, like, asking of the land, you know? Yeah. And of that place, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, it was like, because I hadn't felt it open up for us yet, you know? Like, we hadn't seen any activity on the lake, we were right there at a lake. You, you the reeds, there was a loud frog, and that's mm. about it. But we didn't see much happening. And you know how the place, the place just goes still when you're not welcome there yet. It kind of still felt like that. So I was like, I can't knock a deer here if this place isn't here. The mole people aren't bringing us in. Um, anyway, we did start talking about the snakes. And then there. the snakes. We started out. the conversation there in the morning, and then, and it was just a few minutes later that those two snakes came out. And Art's going like, he's going, oh, yeah, that's him there, bros. Because <laughs> you know? he, he's the Gamilaroi fellow too. He wanna, you know, he, he's he's mad keen to to knock this deer too. And But, you know, he's the same as me. He's a bit leery about it. And then he's like, oh. And then so straight away, you know, I look around everywhere then seeing because that's, that's those two things. So that's sign. But then sign, what now, what now? And looking, looking, and then more frogs start up. And there's a wind, there's a ripple on the lake. And then there's that fish jumped. First mm. fish, we've seen any sign of any fish. We've been there for like from the previous day, you know, and a fish jumped there right in front of us. And then these geese come out from the reeds. 
we hadn't seen any geese there yet out there come you know like mum mum and daddy chicks kind of kind of parade there so they're going and then the colors shifted and the place shifted it's funny for a colorblind fellow to talk about the colors shifting but it's like it's in those moments where i feel like i can see the colors you know i just kind of everything came up like emeralds and rubies and suddenly me and art were looking around in this you know we can see all the sign better we're seeing all the game trails we're seeing where the water flow seeing where the moss grows on the trees things are coming sharper clearer and then we're walking through in the flow of of, of country there mm. um letting the country take us to the meat country took us to meat mm. you know it's like yeah you're right you fellows can have this way yeah, yeah. we felt that really strong so and, and I think when the snakes appeared in the country opened up to us in a whole another dimension that night, you know? That's it. Mm. And then it was an ongoing ritual with like, I don't know, it must have been, how many people there? A dozen, 20? I don't yeah, know. 15, whatever. Yeah, yeah. And so everybody's there in that place having their own different magical experiences, you know, doing like really connected relational activities and yarns. There's a dreamlike quality to it all. Um. It yeah, and then it comes around nighttime. They were there, fire, a little bit of song, and then um, yeah, and against that backdrop, our yarn starts up mm. with the the snakes, mm. and I can't remember much after that. <laughs> There's another one with snakes that just pops up in my head as we're yarning. This is about like the creation of the world, and there's a mountain and the the Devas and Asuras, the so-called positive forces and the uh, demonic forces are sort of like having a tug of war, churning the mountain. Yeah. And the snake is the churning sort of thread that ties it all together. Anyway. Out of that churning, all of the universe appears, everything appears. Like mm. Also venom that appears. Kala mm. yeah. is a popular sort of name for venom around the world i've heard it also i think in persian cultures hala mm -hmm. and then yeah this again this being with the snakes adi yogi shiva supposedly drinks the venom and holds it in his throat yeah. and his throat turns blue and he's also called nilakantha which means like the blue throated one right you know so there's like that's snake story again there's creation destruction death sort of all weaving into mm -hmm. that story. But there's, you know, let's see, that's English again, messing things up. There's yeah. destruction. It's different, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, more like um it's more like regenerative, regenerative yeah. disturbance. Yeah. You know, all the yeah. snakes, they're always making a regenerative disturbance in the landscape, in all of our shared stories, you know. Um, yeah, in this hemisphere particularly. But I guess northern hemisphere, Midgard Serpent, same thing. You know, um, all those ones up there, Europe. I don't know much about them though, but it's yeah. yeah no, it's that. Uh, it's the same as on country. You know, you, you feel like oh, nature red and tooth of red of tooth and claw. You know, like it's all this destruction, this wanton, you know, anarchy, this this chaos. You know, it's like just random things killing and eating each other. It's just awful. You know, aren't we glad we separated from that nature? But it's. It's not kind of how it works. You know, there's not outright destruction. 
it's always that you know i was talking to chelsea today actually we country about this that's why it's still fresh in my head uh yeah. chelsea marshall there she and she, yeah we were both saying and and building on this idea of that you know the way it's the way you disturb country so humans in our proper role ecological niche it's the way we disturb country when we're foraging harvesting hunting you know burning country doing these different things you know essentially could be seen as violent or destructive activities but they're not they're disturbing the land in a certain way that is regenerative you know so it's not a whole heap of heavy lifting caring for country you know like having to clear acres and acres and you know poison these ones and bulldoze those ones and build a fire break and make a rabbit fence and all that sort of thing it's it's kind of it's a bit easier isn't it mm. it's the same with those serpents that it's that they make in creation and make that that regenerative disturbance in the landscape i think that's where we lost our way along the way ties as a species when we mm. turned away from nature and built all these barriers and walls between us and said no we're not part of nature we're separate from it we're apart from it and then, of course, like there are different stories that have taken precedence in the last maybe few centuries and the story of dominion of humans over nature and other species and beasts. And yeah, that's a very gnarly story that's leaving mm. its legacy and its mark. And yeah, I don't know, perhaps I don't know what is going to happen to humankind if we will turn back or return to our custodial role or will we perish like those first whatever stromatolites that mm. were that drowned in their own i think they were producing carbon dioxide or something which is yeah. poison for them but they kept producing so much of it and then they drowned in itself well and... this makes me it makes me think that not all death is good yeah yeah not all death is some good, death is final and, and and horrendously destructive it's not a regenerative death that's that regenerative death that we see and then snakes definitely represent that regenerative death that we all seek and yeah have you contemplated death tyson have you thought about death oh hell yeah all kinds of it yeah the, the good ones and the bad ones yeah <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've come that close to dying so many times i lost count um, yeah yeah since i was a since I was an infant yeah yeah we're very yeah the more we can be in nature I think death also shows its face more like even a leaf falling and crumbling down is a process of death and regeneration now you just have to be mindful of that process happening all around us happening inside our body our cells die and regenerate all the time you know Otherwise, yeah. the species wouldn't like I wouldn't become who I am tomorrow. I wouldn't evolve. I wouldn't grow if the cells didn't do this dance of regeneration. And you see that all around us. Like that's a reminder that we are nature. So pull back to that big pattern, the big creation. You know, going back to that original creative disturbance with the mm. serpents. Mm. Like, yeah, talk talk up a story some more if you want from there. I, I, I'll try not to interrupt again. Well, yeah the, the story of the serpent being the thread of the churn you mean or which one are you talking about Tice? um where you started before you know that got us onto that idea of that uh 
that regenerative disturbance in the landscape, you know, um, and that, yeah, and the venom, you went on to the venom and then the blue yeah, throat. Yeah, that's, that's story of the, the asuras and the devas churning with the snake being the churn thread. And then there's a tortoise on which the mountain rests and all sorts of things appear from that. Venom appears, uh, there's a goddess that appears of wealth, Lakshmi, Kubera, is uh, oh yeah the the most interesting part of the story at some point there appears this almost elixir of immortality and then the the devas and asuras both want it there's this the story of oh i want to be immortal you know there's that innate tendency in humans to want to live forever and that sort of is embodied in that elixir appearing and then vishnu was one of the the cheeky gods in the Indian tradition. He takes the form of Mohini, which is a beautiful woman. He becomes a woman and takes over the, the little pot of elixir. And then he somehow tricks it and only gives it to the devas or the so-called good qualities and does not give it to the so-called demonic qualities within the human. So he nurtures those and leaves the others out. One of the demons he sort of like sneaks his way into the Devas line and drinks some of the elixir, but they notice it and immediately they like cut his head off. So the head becomes immortal. The elixir hasn't reached the rest of the body. Oh, and then no. They cut off like, and they become two sort of celestial things. And then he's banished into space and they become Rahu and Ketu. And they are part of the, the Navagraha or the astrological science, Rahu and Ketu. They're, very important influences in your astrological charts and whatever, which I can't really read. But yeah, those two beings are still floating in space as like, so the rest of them are all planets, Vrihaspati and uh, Buddha and Shani, like all planets, except for these two, Rahu and Ketu, which is like this demon cut in half, immortal, floating in space. So yeah, there's that mm -hmm. story, of the snake. Mm. it's really beautiful nice. yeah there's yeah it's funny like our stories don't they never seem to like just uh you know in our hemisphere they don't seem to just be sitting there with a theme and a moral <laughs> and a, one clear message at the end kind of thing i mean unless they've been retold by you know rudyard kipling or something yeah, yeah. Then you there's know, a beautiful moral at the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. it's like you know, oh, the theme of courage, or like <laughs> something like that. It's not. It's too complicated. What's more complex than that? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like oh, so what happened then? Yeah. So what? It's just like two. Is it like a head and a body, like forever? Like what? And what then? And then. <laughs> What is that like just this eternal punishment or is it, you know? But it's funny, the 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 these revered entities, you know, they're not like in jail forever for doing something wrong, you know. Well, they're completely revered entity. Yeah. This thing of like people say in ancient cultures, worshipping things like trees and rocks and birds especially rocks you know like when people say oh hindus worship idols or whatever like stones and i've i think in santog you speak of like 
stones having sentience or like storing knowledge, you know, and the idea that if you can see rocks as alive, if you can see life in stone and hold it sacred, then heck yeah, you'll probably see humans as sacred. You will see deers and snakes and birds and geese and everything and frogs as sacred, you know. But if you can bring that vision of life into something that we might consider insentient as a piece of rock or a little pebble, then yeah, maybe you're talking at like seeing the anima or the animation of the entire life complex. Yeah. Yeah. Something you said there snagged me at the start. Like this uh yeah, this this idea about how um that's sort of seen by Christian fundamentalists as well, that's pagan and you know, evil, you know, this, uh, and that this, I can only describe it as animism or nature worship or an ancestor worship. And, you know, basically that's all Satan for them, yeah. you know, for all kinds of fundamentalists, Muslims too, you know, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, it's interesting, particularly with the Christian fundamentalists. And I don't think I've seen anything like this with Islam, but, um, but with the Christian fundamentalism, there's this weird, well, I guess they got they appropriated their entire religion from someone else and from other people anyway. So, and they have no experience, no cognitive dissonance about that, and then they intensely dislike those people as well, mm. uh, with no cognitive dissonance whatsoever. Like they're worshiping a Jew, but then hating Jews at the same time. I'm talking about your fundamentalists and Christian nationalists and all that sort of thing, and it's the same with this idea of these, you know, this disdain for pagans. And I keep running into with, you know, because a lot of my family are Christians and, you know, the community around their church is like, they don't like me, you know, <laughs> like all of the white people in these churches and they get all, you know, like you're a pagan and they're quite rude about it. Wow. But it's weird because at the same time, they appropriate a lot of stuff, mm. you know, from there. Like earlier, you know, Jan, you were talking about you know, back in the time when the Aryans came in, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's yeah. not how they see it. They see it as the Aryans came out, you know, that the Aryans came from India, you know, and hence Indo-European, which is a polite term for, you know, Aryan now, like that's used in the sciences, etc. You know, so you got like, you know, um, even Steve Bannon, who's the engineer of all Trump, Trumpism and all that kind of thing, uh, and very much on the Christian right. You know, a lot of his ideology is is built on um, stuff just lifted, borrowed from the East, you know, uh, particularly the same kinds of things that are twisted and used in weird ways to inform Hindu nationalism yeah. and Hindu Hindu fascism, you know, like uh, it's like they're, they're all the, it's all the same playbook. The same, and the same spiritual playbook. justifications, you know, so they're happy to embrace those things that enhance their power and supremacy as an ethnic group, mm. you know, but then at the same time, disdain the source. And the source. The same way as they're like worshiping a Jew and, yeah. and hating on Jews. No, no, I'm not saying I'm not anti-Semitic, but I'm just asking questions. Who runs the media? You know, <laughs> yeah. Hi, so what are you thinking? Where are you going? Yeah, the source stories are always so complex and so rich and there's yeah. no simple message you can draw from. 
there's no aha moment. But if you sit with the story long enough, like something opens up. Yeah. All these mantras and all these like sounds that have existed in India for thousands of years. Mm. Hey, like you have to sit with it for a long period for it to like open up for you. Mm. And then you see the meaning. But it takes a lot of like just sitting with it, which mm. we don't know enough of nowadays. We don't, we want That's the insight in 30 seconds. We want the answer now. We want the meaning given to us or handed mm. down. Someone on YouTube to explain it to you. But you've I mean, got to. You're talking about earlier about someone's calling himself a guru, you run the other way. Yeah. But then how do you know when you're being compelled towards or drawn towards something that is a deep well? of knowledge and that is um how, how do you judge that or is that just something you're just born with you're born into because of your your life experience i think now, how can other people come to know this because maybe this answers the question of how people can transform out of you know grief loss pathology how people can heal it's about how to how to know how to move towards those things and how to be discerning so you know finish up in a cult or something <laughs> how do you know how to move towards you know a knowledge tradition or community where you're able to learn learn about death mm. and and embrace that as part of life and and lose your fear yeah i think all of us are born with a compass i think internally you know you know even people who join these so-called cults or whatever internally they know something is off Mm. or you can sort of listen to your own inner voice and many times we sort of cloud our heads with i don't know alcohol or whatever else we use to sort of suppress the feeling or emotion that's there mm. sometimes mm. it's a painful feeling and it's really good to sit with it it's really good like sitting yeah. with a mantra is the same as sitting with that feeling and mm. allowing it to give you the insight but we want to run away you know we don't want to the more you become comfortable i think sitting in your own being, sitting silent. I think that's a good sign. Then mm. you will be able to automatically judge that this person is the right person. This being is the right being. And we have lots of stories and lots of real life examples. And these are not even myths or like what some people might call myth or folklore. This is very much in a live tradition that is there even now. And you go into the presence of a being, you go into the presence of a, a real guru, and he or she or they might just be eating soup and watching telly, you know, whatever. Mm. Mundane, ordinary life activity. Yes. Immediately you feel a presence, you feel peace within, which is yeah. weird. That's how it is for us too. Yeah. The yeah. senior elders and big song. Yeah. 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 You so yeah, you feel it. Like you immediately feel it in your heart. Your mm. mind quietens. You're, there's all these like depictions in folklore, it appears, say, as when Buddha sat quietly, a deer and a lion are drinking from the same water trough. Mm. You know, the idea there is that the peace is so potent and palpable in the presence of a guru that you feel the silence and then you are peaceful. You become at peace. You come to peace naturally, you know? And so I think that's a great sign. Yeah. If well, you are there's that deer again. <laughs> there's that deer again. <laughs> Yeah. yeah there's the deer the deer and the snake all return in our stories eh? all the time mm -hmm. ah true so deer is a big one mm -hmm. bees come back snakes mm. come back. 
Mm. So I'd say that's the sign, your own inner compass. And how do you develop that own inner compass? You learn to, I'd say, go and sit in nature, you know, or go and sit quietly. Because our old people had time to just look at the skies, you know, doing nothing. Where do we do that now? When do we do that? Yeah, exactly. Well, it's most people living in cities can't even see the stars properly. Mm. You know, um, that's the thing I miss most since mm. I moved here. But see, maybe that's what we're missing, you know, as a species. Because it's only been a few thousand years that just city building has started, you know. And that's, um, I, I don't think... know, what's, what's, what, how did that happen on, you know, in, in your country? But, um, so did was there this this big spike when there was all this city building like even you know like before european cities were built and then um people decided it was a bad idea and started to scale down mm. or which way like um cuz there's all these you know what they call ruins now you know, and there's all these sacred texts where it's really obvious there are these. There was a big city building culture that ended up developing. I and mean, was it just that you found the right kind of urban planning? <laughs> yeah, I don't know the Fixes answer. Or, or, you know, yeah. yeah. I don't know the answer to that one because, yeah, there are stories of lots of ruins and there are stories within these stories where the ruin is part of the story and you not know, part of the this setting is in the ruins of right. the city. So you are like already uh, looking like way, way back. There would have been cities that have been left or demolished or yeah. let go to regenerate, hopefully, into something else. That yeah. regenerative death process, if we can apply that to cities as well. And it's, I think there was some statistics around like, I don't know, more than half the world's population is going to be living in cities. Yeah. In the coming and years or something and that's scary as yeah. guys i have to spend time in new york city as you know for the work i do with aim yeah and for me to leave gumbenge country and go to that part of the world and especially live in a big city like new york mm. is, is a scary daunting thing but you know like i carry my practices with me i carry my tradition in my heart and that sort of allows me to move in the city. And I do it in three month stints. And more than that, I don't think I'm, I don't think humans are meant for city dwelling, you know? Mm-hmm. We lose so much touch. We lose so much contact with trees and birds and animals and even the sky, you know? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. You can't do anything, you mm. know? You can have an electric fireplace in your house if you're rich or whatever. But yeah. You lose your connection, which is why I think if somehow we can, I don't know if I'm asking people to return to paganism, maybe I am, but if you can have that reverence for nature, if you can mm-hmm. go back to like holding nature sacred, then maybe there's a shot at us returning to our ecological niche that you speak about, Thais, as the custodial species, you know, because mm-hmm. we've definitely forgotten that. We've definitely forgotten that. And yeah, there's stories in our like old books around the baby in the womb. And the baby in the womb sort of is like speaking. It's it's in one of the Upanishad, the Garba Upanishad, which says, like, this time when I come out from the womb, I will remember. I will remember my true nature. I will remember that I'm 
deeply interconnected to everything. I'm not a limited, separate individual entity that I take myself to be. And then the moment birth occurs, the trauma of going through that experience of being born, mm. and immediately you're, you're on the other side crying, you know? And <laughs> the Buddha says something like, birth itself is suffering, being born itself is suffering. And people consider it pessimistic. It's not yeah. at all. Yeah. Very optimistic worldview, because there's a way out of the suffering, you know? There's a way out of returning to relations, returning to our deepest core. And then when you do that, then life starts flowing around you again. You don't feel mm. stuck. Or, and then the stuck energy, it comes like, it comes like there are cloudy days, you know? Mm. It doesn't mean the sun doesn't exist. The sun's there hiding behind the clouds. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean the sun is not there, you mm. know? And kind of, it's the same thing. You have that internal peace within you. Yeah. And then the clouds of confusion or anxiety or depression cover it. You're supposed to learn that object permanence when you're still a baby with peekaboo, eh? <laughs> yeah. Peekaboo. Yeah, peekaboo. Uh, yeah, cover my ass. She's, to... uh, she's gone. Mummy's gone. She gone forever. <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. What a surprise. She's still there. All right. She was there when I had my hands on my eyes. That is such a huge lesson that makes me laugh. Makes me laugh. Like the, just the joy of that lesson of like that clicking and those neurons all lining up that object permanence um you know in a way you got to learn that from your big mum the earth too you know with that understanding of now the sun's still there you just gone down gone around be back up in a minute yeah 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 <laughs> she's coming back hey is the same with the peace we carry within ties we say like that's our essential nature that's mm. the sun within that cannot yeah. be and even if it's a cloudy day you carry the sun within you. Mm. And the more you learn to sit with yourself, the more you learn to sit quietly or mm. whatever. Like, you don't have to sit quietly. I don't mean mm. like go sit on a meditation cushion. You know, like when you chop your vegetables, but your internal dialogue yeah. not exist. There's quietness within. And you abide. And you're always there. And that <laughs> never leaves you. We should call that subject permanence. We should call it. Term. <laughs> yeah, I love subject permanence. And then there's in... Eastern traditions, there's object impermanence. There's oh. Yeah. oh, of course there is. You know? Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you can't still be a baby when you learn that one, right? <laughs> yeah. That's when you can that's when you can do magic tricks. Yeah. When things disappear. Yeah, yeah. Mm -mm. everything disappears in the end no like even the sun will disappear at some stage ah yeah yeah no? yeah that's it no i was i was looking at that in a shorter time frame <laughs> like making a rock go through a table or something you're doing the death thing i'm, I'm not i'm like thinking about magic tricks yeah. same yeah. thing is yeah. death a magic trick if you're reborn, I don't know, if reincarnation exists, happens, which we kind of believe in, but not reincarnation. It doesn't have to be that you physically shed your body. You could be reincarnated. It's like, isn't sleep a little death? And then the next morning you wake yeah. up and everything floods back. But there's a moment before the world is flooded into your consciousness when you just wake up and you're sort of like, 
half asleep, half awake, you're woken up. But this idea of me being a separate being, this idea of the world being separate to me <clears throat> hasn't entered your consciousness. And if you can play with that moment, you know, as soon as you wake up, mm. it gives you a glimpse. In yeah, the- yeah. Ah, that's and- in there. Play with death in those moments. You're that like you've got the best voice on the planet specifically for that sentence that you said before when you said, Isn't death a magic trick? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Oh, see, it didn't sound any good when I said it. It sounded awesome when you said it. (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Tyson. It's a beautiful little I'm 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 almost certain I'm not projecting wisdom onto you. I believe you you actually have it carrying around with you you know <laughs> it's from the traditions it's given huh? you don't yeah you don't carry it like yeah you yeah. hold it a little bit you share it freely you allow it to pass through yeah and then yeah, you know my spouse is always talking about being that person in between mm. that, what, that what one, you you're being like mm. you know when you receive knowledge it's you're passing it you pass it straight away and some i've always believed too both hold that's that really how the strong. knowledge stays alive you know otherwise yeah. the knowledge dies if you hold it and store it it dies yeah yeah if let it flow then it's alive through you and yeah. yeah definitely this is not yeah when we speak of the tradition or stories or some of this wisdom it's not mine at all that's it mm-hmm. but you know you, you carry you carry these things and pass them on and that's you know that's for everyone to do because everybody knows something yeah. you know yeah. everybody learns something particular you know in their life and they you know. speaking of everybody knows something yeah yesterday at the festival this festival i'm in south star this fella that founded netflix mark randall or whatever he was giving the opening keynote it was fascinating it was interesting but he came up with his catchphrase Nobody knows anything. And everyone just <laughs> went rave about nobody knows anything, you know? That was the mantra. That was the catchphrase. Okay, nobody knows anything. Nobody knows anything. Wow. It's an Who interesting thing. Hmm. <laughs> All right, I'll contemplate that. That and death. Tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. You, um, when you start doing this, doing this work, you, you, you take your eye off yourself anyway. Mm. Because you, you once you start becoming immersed in knowledge and engaging with knowledge mm. and understanding, which you soon realize you can't do on your own, mm. and you engage with the relationality of working with knowledge with people, and you know everything shifts. Mm. Like your eye goes off yourself, and mm. you know even in moments when there's just the worst things going on, mm. you know. Mm. Yeah, we kind of say the. The sign of you know wisdom shining yeah. is the less and less you think about yourself. Yeah, you know, that's a sign. Yeah, arising, and that can only happen. Yeah, when you do this kind of deep work and yeah, as you said, the thought of self automatically stops. You know, mm. you don't have to push it down. You don't have to say, "Oh, I'm not this body. I'm not this." Woman. Yeah, Just I was happy. this this old um Islander fella told me that once. That's not a lot of things stay with me for good and and hold, you know, usually, probably a good sign. Usually, as you move, 
with your story and your understanding, things become less important. And you see how limited that that thing was that you thought was amazing. But this has stayed there for me, you know. Because he was like, I just opened up to this old fella and it's just like, I don't know, I was crying, just really going through stuff, you know. Um, you know, people had died. There was murders. There was bad stuff going on. The most I was going through the most horrendous racist bullying um, at work. It was just, it was horrible. Um, yeah, stuff going on with my poor kids and bloody every, everything was just. I mean, it was it was a nightmare. You know, I was having an extremely bad time, and I thought he would just give me advice of actions to take or other ways to look at it to keep myself calm you know because i found myself kicking wheelie bins and stuff like that from time to time <laughs> in that period you know and he said um he said he just looked at me and pointed and said get your eye off yourself <laughs> yeah hmm. That's he said deep. find find somebody need something find out what they need get it for them repeat yeah keep just look after people yeah. keep doing that get your eye off yourself but it was more than just you know be in service it was yeah really get your eye off yourself and um yeah i applied that a lot of lots of different levels yeah and then a few days later you know because i'd already booked in to go and see a, a counselor about um you know rage management issues and i was telling him about the last incident i'd had of rage you know and he goes, um, it was it was kicking a wheelie bin into pieces. You know how strong wheelie bins are. That's a hard thing to kick into pieces. Wow. Anyway, but I did manage to shatter this wheelie bin. That's how angry I was. I was telling him about that. And then, then he's, he dropped another pearler on me. It's like I got to just leave the session early because it was just like, thanks, I'm all good now. <laughs> and I still say it to this day. He just said, he just said, at what, um, so at what stage did you give yourself permission? to do that because i was talking about it like i lost control like this rage was a thing that took over me and like i didn't have any agency you know over that you know and you can think the same way about depression and everything else he goes well what was the moment Find, tell me the moment when you gave yourself permission to do that and i just went that just went ding and flipped it so between the whole fella telling me get you off yourself and then this gubba counselor telling me, hey, you know, when did you give yourself permission? I'm like, uh, yeah, I felt agency. And I felt like, you know, like a, something I could put into place and the agency to do it, you know. So, yeah, I did that. That, like, hit me out of jail at least. Thank God it's just a Band-Aid. Like, that's some really wise stuff. Some very wise shit, but it's still just a Band-Aid. I probably need to, like lift that band-aid up have another look yeah because that was like 30 years ago so it's still working is it it's still going the band-aid <laughs> yeah kind of it's getting a bit smelly yeah just fair. sort of getting a bit but brown around the edges and peeling back how do you actually heal ties what do you like do you go back to country or well i just i think if you if you go too much into anything it's it's no good eh so i've been spending those decades in between then and now um keeping my eye off myself <laughs> and doing 
so much like you know doing for country for mob for others for people well i've taken on that many i can't uh, find it hard to count all my foster kids and you know i, I count them on payday though because they still i got time i can <laughs> can i have 50 dollars got no food here yeah so i done i can't even count the number of foster kids i've had um, kids i've raised you know um and you know that just the things i've done you know service which is like almost everything all my work been around that towards that that's what that book was about mm. you know that's what this next book's about it's still it's still getting my off myself but that's unhealthy too man there's no yeah. singular fucking truth or way because yeah. that's unhealthy like yeah, yeah. Agree with you. you've got to simultaneously do like very deep self introspection contemplation yeah of why you know like look keep the eye on the eye the eye on the eye hey, hey. you know what i mean but yeah yeah also you've got to get your eye off yourself you've got to do both i think the answer is never one or the other as soon as you think it's one or the other you're trapped yeah yeah that's it so you got to get out of that have that profound realization g you are you <laughs> guru <laughs> hey you, you, also not you, you know mm-hmm. you are all the relationships you carry you are the the thousands of years of story that flows through you yeah yeah but that's that's what's that's what's like kept me going with the band-aid on you know and that's always good on country because mm. you don't have to <laughs> And you know, so I've been on country for most of those years, and that's 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 fine, because you you don't have to stop and look for yourself, because there's kin behind you watching you and helping you out that way. But more than that, country and a kin that's part of country, you know, country's always putting back in. The more you put out, the more country feeds back through you. You know, keeps you strong that way. But that did not prepare me for moving into a city. Yeah. To suddenly to continue the the fire hose of getting my eye off myself, but there's nothing coming in. <laughs> if there's moral to this story, if there's a moral to this story, it's probably like leave the cities, all of us, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's how to survive the city? Get your eye on yourself. <laughs> Learn how to walk past a homeless person who's in real trouble. Learn how to walk past twenty in a row. You know, it's or you won't be able to pay your rent if you, if you can't just put yeah. your nose in the air and walk past them. That's what I fucking struggled with when I first got here. I was always broke. Yeah. I couldn't go. I couldn't walk past them. Man, yeah. yeah. Living in New York, especially, you see that, huh? In India, yeah. you've got to... I don't know. No. Tricky one, ties that one. Yeah. How do you keep your humanity alive in that moment? Yeah, exactly. Well, um, I don't know. The sort of death of cash in the world helped. Because then, you know, then you can say to, I, I, I can say to people, hey, I, I'm going to I'm, I'm buy you. I, I, only, I don't have cash, but I can go inside, buy you some food or anything you need here. Um, and then, you know, most of us go, no, no, don't worry about it. You know, you know, you know well, you know, I had a shot. But see, I, can, um, I have trouble even, you know, when I get someone from a call center calls me up, you know, trying to sell me something. And I'm just like, look, 
you know, I'm not doing that and at all. And you're probably going to make bugger all even if you make this sale. But, you know, can you just tell just tell me if you've got you got kids at home you're trying to feed and you you're having trouble you, you're in trouble you just just here text me your bank details and i'll send you like 50 dollars australian and that'll freaking that'll sort you out yeah that'll feed you feed your buzz for quite a while imagine um you know especially if you're making like five dollars a day in your poxy call center you poor bastard um yeah yeah, it's good to yeah, it's good to keep your humanity alive. But then there. that means you're always broke too. Like I'm gonna put my eye on myself, start saving some freaking money, or I'm gonna die and my kids won't have anything. Yeah, they'll have wisdom with you past ties. They'll have regenerative death, you know. Uh, they won't have a bank balance. I don't know how they'd feel about that, but yeah. Anything else you'd pass more than money. Yeah. It's so much easier to have wisdom if you don't have to worry about. Mm. like doing mental arithmetic at the supermarket mm. yeah <laughs> I, I gotta say that's why i really enjoyed that after my first royalty check was just that that couple of months of just walking around <laughs> like going shop going to the supermarket and just like not doing the maths in my head knowing that i wasn't going to overdraw this time yeah yeah, that's true. On an empty yeah. belly, wisdom doesn't work, you know? That's him. Yeah, yeah. There's no wisdom in poverty. Like, <laughs> don't tell me that. You know, people of privilege can, like, inflict poverty on themselves and feel liberation and freedom, and they can gain wisdom and enlightenment from doing that. And you look at all the ones who do that. They're privileged enough to be able to do that and not die. They're privileged enough to do that and not have to support kids. Or privileged enough to just walk away from their wife and responsibilities and just leave their wife to raise their kids while they go off and sit in a freaking cave somewhere and grow their beard out. You know, stuff them swamis. I see a swami, I see somebody's abrogating his responsibilities and his kin relations. You want to get in there? Don't, yeah, get your eye off yourself, swami. I'm just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what ties. Like, I think the idea is. Swami, if it's a true Swami, yeah. the idea is like you're not, you kind of are walking away from your birth family, but then you are like taking the world as your family. You're not going and hiding away in a cave. You know, you might do that yeah. for a little time. And that's something that's valued by the family. The family sees that as rich. Yeah. The family has that spiritual reward covered. And then that pride, that respect from the community in the community, and they're in reciprocal relations in there anyway. So someone's always going to be keeping an eye on the kids. And yeah, yeah. It's a different thing. See, I'm in the city mind now. I see someone walks past me with a six pack, you know, like someone got like rock hard abs. Someone is like, you know, really fit looking. And I don't think, ah, oh, isn't that like, isn't that, that an attractive person? I just think, are oh, you prick? You know, I, I just think, I just see a person who's, who's got a spare five hours a day to work out. I'm like, um, where are you finding that time? You, you got, you got responsibilities. Who are you looking after? Who's depending on you? You know, are you earning money for somebody? And then are you coming home and cleaning the freaking house? Are you changing nappies? Are you looking after your neighbors? No, you're fucking lifting weights down the bloody, down the gym, probably really expensive gym membership too. Probably having a bunch of supplements 
too. You probably spend a couple hundred bucks a week on that. You're a prick. I don't like you. Go away. Go away. Get them abs. Let me touch them first. There, yeah, that's nice. All right, now go. Get out of my sight. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, Tyson. You take a dig at people working out in gyms and stuff in the beginning of Sam Talk, too. I do. I do. I think I think there's an like issue there. Cycling to go nowhere, running to go nowhere. That oh, hit me when I read dude. that. That's like classic. Like, I, I is- was like a powerlifting champion when I was like 17. So I imagine that when I lift that band-aid, there's going to be all kinds of gym stuff yeah. bursting out in a big cloud of, of of muscular pus from from that from that wound. I'm not going to look at that wound yet. Anyway, what we're talking about my wounds for? I'm talking general and general young people. But um, anyway, we're going to have to wrap it up anyway because of um, said obligations. Yes. I got babies to put to bed. Yeah, I've got things and duties and my food to satisfy my belly and whatever else I've got to do. Also, <laughs> nice. in the hang Tyus. Is there well, a snake story to close us off? Do you have you got a snake? I just I think we've just got um we got snake stories ongoing, bros. Yeah. That's um yeah, this I just I just feel like continue. We got we got heaps more to talk about there. Um now we got snake story to finish it off. It's funny how much how many like Eastern stories that snake, that dragon associated with money. Mm. Mm. And there's, mm. but you know, in, in Australia, there's only one I can think of that's associated with money. And it's that, um, the, the spiral shells that we use as currency just in this one place, like it was an experiment. And I think that was a warning to everybody. No, don't try that. <laughs> don't try tokens to represent value. That was a cautionary tale because that snake was killed. Okay. Let's and this, what we're shows. doing now, now we have currency and now we have tokens for everything. We're tokenizing. That's it. Life. That's it. Everything's tokenized. But now, um, yeah, and you've got that snake ring on your finger. And we've got our snake images, you know, you know, all around us. Um, you know, of our cultures and from our cultures, and we've got our snake yarns, and we're gonna continue these ones. Um, yeah, those yeah, those stories are thick, and they're everywhere. They crisscross the world. It's a world of snakes. It's a universe of snakes. Universe of when you snakes. come to realize that as a foundational thing, it's um, yeah, things things move for you too. Naga naga, naga naga. <laughs> you made me do a little, do a little burp, a little naga. verp. Actually, that was oh, that's disgusting. Naga <laughs> So what, how, what? what's Naga Naga when you say it twice? It's like a way of invoking the Naga, no? Naga Naga. Uh-huh. What happens it... if you say it three times in front of the mirror? Nah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coming at you from the mirror. All right, PJ. All right, Tais. Parul Punjabi Jagdish. I'll um, catch you later, brother. That was, yeah, that was, that was a nice like, call back to the yarn. Sorry? I'll see you in Sydney next week, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll find you there. Okay. All right. After yourself. Put All those right. babies to bed. Bye-bye. Yeah, I will indeed. All right. I'll put them.